listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth, Jr. What we're getting ready to talk about is such a vital thing for 2023. Um, I don't know how much you want to intro it, but when you text me to be on with you um, and just continually for like nine months blew up my phone and I finally said I would. <laughs> um, I, uh, I'm just kidding. But when you, when you text me, I felt like, you know, as I was thinking about it, you're just like, what, what is it? What's in your spirit? Um, when I was thinking about it, this is really something that's in my spirit often. And I'm looking at um, 2023. I'm looking at uh, Paul's prophecies about the future, what the world would be like, what what even Christians would be like. And um, it blows my mind that the things Paul said are specifically coming to pass. I mean, Bible prophecy is so accurate anyway. But when Paul described what people would be like in the last days, it's the exact thing that we're seeing right now. People, lovers of themselves rather than lovers of God, right? Lovers of money, lovers of pleasure. Um, but then he goes on to say that they will be brutal. You know, loving people who love to see violent things happen. You know, th- those things are all happening now. And so because we know that that's true, uh, I, it was in my spirit for us to uh, talk about the power and importance of the gifts of the Holy Spirit so that they would be in operation in the church and why we stand so strongly uh, for that. We don't back away from that message. And I know you have a ministry uh, that is Pentecostal and charismatic in nature where you have miracles, signs, wonders, baptisms in the Holy Spirit, salvations, um, and those things have to take place. You know, some people just stop at salvation. More than that is necessary. More than that is necessary. It's not necessary. More more than that's not necessary to get to heaven. But there's more that God wants to do while we're on the earth. And I know you've made that a a major focus of your ministry. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, my whole life is a product of the gifts of the Holy Ghost being um, used through a minister on me. You know, the Holy Ghost manifesting himself in a service and I'm the product of the Holy Ghost. I'm the product of these gifts of the Holy Spirit. So when we talk about and what we're going to get into today, um, are the gifts of the Holy Spirit still vital today and essential as they were in the book of Acts church and all that? You know, I am a product of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The very fact that, you know, we can talk about salvation being the first work of the Holy Spirit, but then there's the subsequent experience that the Holy Spirit offers, which is the baptism in the Holy Ghost. But even after the baptism in the Holy Ghost, we all know that that's just the gateway into these marvelous gifts. You know, I always give the um, analogy of you have electricity in a home. When you get baptized in the Holy Ghost, you get plugged into God's power grid. But just being on the power grid is not good enough because you need an appliance now if you're going to benefit from that power. You need a microwave, you need a refrigerator, you need um, a television or whatever. 
uh, and it's in plugging in those appliances that now you can benefit from those that power. Essentially, that's what the gifts of the Holy Ghost are, is the appliances of the Holy Spirit. It's the way the Holy Spirit provides benefit and, and value and in His manifestation towards us. And I actually have this scripture, but I'm just going to read this, and I'm going to let you, I'm, I'm going to let you um, run loose. But in First Corinthians chapter 12, which I don't think you can talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit without reading First Corinthians 12, but from verse 1 through 7, I'll stop at 7, it says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I don't want you to be ignorant or unaware. You know, like Lester Summerall used to always say, isn't it funny that the one thing God says don't get ignorant on, the whole church gets the most ignorant on. <laughs> one thing yeah. God says don't get ignorant on, we run and get the most ignorant on. And uh, he also says God doesn't bless stupidity. So if you're going to operate in these gifts, if you're going to function in these gifts, just like faith can't function in ignorance, um, if you're going to function in these gifts, there has to be um, knowledge. God cannot bless stupidity. He can only bless knowledge. He can bless um, revelation knowledge of the word of God applied. And so you know that you were Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols. However, you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the spirit of God calls Jesus a curse. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. That's showing the redemptive value in the operation of the gifts. Verse 4, there are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. Differences of ministries, but the same Lord. Different diversities of activities, but is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation, and this is what I wanted to get to, the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. And um, our question is, are the gifts of the Spirit vital today? And I would answer that with, if we desire to continue to produce, as in Bible days, and continue to, to bring profitability to ourselves, to our family, and to our ministries and churches, then it's a resounding yes. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are a requirement. If profitability and productivity is something you desire to have in life. Teddy, why don't you enlighten us on how vital these gifts are? Yeah, I, I, think, I think you're exactly right. I don't think that there's any question whether or not uh, number one, number whether or not God's still doing these things today. Uh, obviously, as Pentecostal believers, we believe that the even the apostolic gifts are in full function today. Miracles, signs, wonders, um, all of those things. He, gifts of healing. Uh, but it's not just that they're still happening today. As you said, they are very necessary today. And I'm going to give right. you uh, Bible reasons why they must, they must, be an operation in our churches. They must be an operation in our lives as believers. I'm going to show you from Scripture exactly why they must. Uh, the first is this. Um, if you look at the argument that the uh, gifts of the Spirit are no longer in operation, this is the argument of cessationists. This is the those that, who would say uh, the Holy Spirit stopped functioning in that way after the church was formed and the canon of Scripture was closed. We no longer need the, the gifts of the Spirit and the apostolic gifts to function that way. Um, one of the things that's important to remember is that that's not taught anywhere in the Bible. <laughs> so anybody that was to, let's say you just gave a Bible to somebody that's never even heard of Christianity before. They're not going to read through the New Testament and come to the conclusion at the end, Oh, you know what? That stuff that I read that was happening 
you know, in the early church in Acts, that's, that's done with now. They won't get that. No, nobody will come to the conclusion that the Holy Spirit is done working in that way now. Uh, you have to do all kinds of theological gymnastics to come to that conclusion. Uh, so you're not going to get that from Scripture. You're not going to get that from the Bible. But one of the things that's important to remember is that these signs um, continually uh, have been proof of God's power and existence, Old and New Testament, right? So let's just focus on the New Testament uh, for our purpose of discussion. Jesus, now this, this to me, Jesus, this to me is such an important point, pointed to his miracles that were taking place via the gifts of the Spirit as the proof that he was the Son of God. That's right. Now, if you listen to some of these people that teach that that stuff's not for today, their explanation for why you may see something like that happening is it's a deception of the devil. They'll tell you that's demons doing that. That's, that's a deception of the devil. Tongue, people that claim they're speaking in tongues or healing people or whatever. That's a deception of the devil. Okay. Well, here's, here's something I would say to those people that, you know, logically what you're saying doesn't even make sense. And here's why. If the devil could do those things like Jesus did, like the apostles did, then it was pointless for Jesus to use his healing miracles as the definitive proof that he was the Messiah. That's right. It's pointless because if the devil could do it, it's not proof because they could have just continued to say what they did say to him, which is you're doing these things by the power of Satan. Hmm. And Jesus mocked them. And said, no, a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. That's right. And so Jesus made the point. The devil can't do these things. And in fact, when John's disciples came to Jesus, they asked him a question. Are you the one we've been waiting for? Are you the one we're looking for? Or should we wait for another? And Jesus said, go back and tell John the things you've seen and heard. The blind see, the deaf hear. What's he doing? He's pointing at healing miracles as the proof that he's the son of God, the Messiah, the anointed one, the Christ, right? So if the devil could duplicate these miracles or if they could be done by evil spirits, then they're not proof because mm -hmm. that now is just confusion. That's just pure confusion. That's we right. don't know when somebody gets healed if it's Jesus or the devil. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying my healing miracles are proof that I'm God's son. And what does he say to the Pharisees? And if you don't believe me, at least believe the works that I'm from the one who sent me. Yeah. If you don't believe my message, at least believe my miracles, right? So he wouldn't say that if the devil could perform those miracles because that's just pure confusion. And so I want, you, I want those that are watching to keep in mind that that proof didn't stop with Jesus it carried on into the New Testament church after Jesus died and was resurrected and ascended into heaven. Those things continued and they still were proof. That's right. They still were proof. So um, when the apostles would do those types of miracles, they were proof that they were sent from God. They were proof that Jesus was alive, that the message. So remember this, the miracles are the evidence of the message. Hmm. 
And those of you that are taking notes, put that in the comments today. The miracles are evidence of the message. The miracles are evidence of the message. And I'm going to show you that from Scripture uh, in just a moment. But the miracles are evidence of the message. And so what I consider to be such a powerful thing is that uh, not only did Jesus have the evidence, the apostles and the early church had the evidence, right? Now, Paul, let's deal with Paul. Paul was without question, you know, there's, a, there's such a huge difference. TJ, I know you've seen this in your Bible study. There's such a huge difference between uh, the early apostles and someone like Paul. Because the early apostles were different kinds of guys. They were fishermen, right? Mm -hmm. Tax collectors. They, they, were, they were different kinds of guys. And even when you read about them in Acts chapter 4, uh, like Peter and John, right? Peter, think about this for, for a second. Peter, James, and John are what we could consider, consider Jesus' inner circle, right? Jesus had 12 disciples, but Peter, James, and John were the inner circle of his inner circle. Yeah. Those were the ones that truly had probably greatest faith, operated in the greatest miracles. And for example, when Jesus goes to raise a dead girl back to life, you know, resurrection power. It's interesting to me, he didn't bring all of his disciples with him. Yeah. He only brought those three, the inner of the inner. Peter, James, and John went with him, right? Um, but when you look at their lives, the Bible's very clear about them. They stood, Peter and John stood before the high council and they, they addressed them boldly basically saying, we're not going to listen to you. We're going to listen to God. And when they were done speaking, I love this verse of scripture, Acts chapter four and uh, verse 13, Acts 4, 13. Now when they, and the they there is in reference to the council, the high council. And when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men. You see that? So it's very plain. These are uneducated, common men. They were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. So there's a powerful thing right there. They recognized that they had been with Jesus. Yes, uneducated. Yes, common. But had been with Jesus, which made all the difference. That's the thing that made all the difference. So God... God's not able to use you or not use you based on your level of education. That's not an excuse for ignorance or stupidity, as you pointed out earlier, but it is actually the fellowship you have with Christ. It is the fellowship you have with the Holy Spirit. You're not, you know, obviously you're the word that's in you and the, the boldness that you have by the Holy Ghost that'll, and your obedience to his voice that allows God to use you. So there's a huge difference between, let's say, guys like Peter and John and someone like Paul. Yeah. Well, what's, what's the difference? The difference is they were uneducated and common, whereas Paul 
was extremely intelligent, mm -hmm. extremely intelligent. Paul was trained from a young age. He was rising up through the ranks of the Pharisees with speed. That's right. He, he was, he was, you know, he was on par to be one of the religious leaders of, of his day. Um, but even greater, the Bible tells us that his mentor was Gamaliel. That's who he sat at the feet of. And, and I, I always point this out, that to this day, Gamaliel is still considered to be one of the greatest teachers in the history of Judaism. And so Paul's like his understudy. Hmm. And, and he's very intelligent. Paul can stand toe-to-toe -to -toe with anybody and, and, and speak intelligently. And so there's a major difference there. You've got uneducated common men, and all they could depend on <laughs> was the power of God. Right, because they didn't have anything else to depend on. That's right. It's not. It's not they. Could, they couldn't lean. Lean on. It's like the Bible. The Bible gives us a command: um, trust in the Lord with all your heart, and don't lean on your own understanding. Well, it's pretty hard to lean on on your own <laughs> understanding when you don't have any understanding. <laughs> and that's kind of how it was with Peter and John. Sure. It's like, well, we actually can't lean on our understanding because we're not educated. <laughs> we don't have any understanding. I fish. It's like, you know, like, can you, uh, what are your credentials? I fish. <laughs> you know, like that's, those are my credentials. Um, but, but Paul's different. Paul's got tons of credentials, tons of things. He's got tons of education, right? So think about this verse of scripture, TJ, that the letter kills but the spirit gives life, right? The letter kills. The Bible talks about the fact that when you become too dependent upon your own intelligence, it brings about a haughty spirit, brings about pride, right? And what does that lead to? Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. So the danger then is to lean on your own understanding. And there's people in our generation that literally think that if they're uh, good enough orators, if they can debate well enough, if they can present a good enough representation verbally, it'll be enough. Now, there is power in the gospel message. There's no question about that. I'm not saying there's not. But there's a difference between preaching the gospel message and apologetics. That's right. There's a big difference between the two. We're not called to debate anyone into the kingdom of God. You can't. You can't debate. You can't argue someone into the kingdom. And let me tell you, there's, there's, a, there's enough people that are, I was just watching a, a video the other night, by the way. Um, you know the guy that's up from Toronto? Um, Dr. Jordan Peterson, that was yeah. the clinical psychologist from the University of Toronto. Sure, yeah. Dr. Peterson was engaged in talks with um, a Muslim, and they were discussing, like, even Christian uh, ideals. And Christian, in the West, we have a, mainly a, a Christian mindset, right? It's a, uh, our nation specifically, and, and Canada's founded on Christian ideals. And so the Muslim pushing back and challenging that 
Um, but but what's surprising is the Muslim uh, has knowledge of the word of God, mm. right? He has the ability to read the Bible and then debate with the Bible. Atheists, uh, for example, like um, those that are, uh, there, there's a, a, a man that I could mention who's a very well-known atheist who used to be a Christian minister, but now he's an apostate. And he basically writes apologetics books from the other side that you shouldn't believe in the Bible. Well, he still studies the Bible. He studies the word of God. He knows it like the back of his hand, but he doesn't believe in it and it doesn't produce anything for him. So that shows us, doesn't it? That it's not enough to know the Bible. It's not even enough to be able to explain the Bible because we're not called to debate anybody into the kingdom of God. That's right. God has chosen the foolishness of preaching. And when you preach the word of God, there's a difference. You know, it's like, I know you've probably heard this, that people say like, um, any, you know, people will refer to anything that someone preaches, like, man, he's preaching the gospel. It's like, but not every message preached from the Bible is the gospel. That's right. You know, you can preach things from the Bible and you should, but that doesn't mean everything you preach from the Bible is the gospel message, because it's not. The gospel is a very specific message. It is the birth, sinless life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. And if you want to go further, uh, the day of Pentecost, the sending of the Holy Spirit and the soon return of Christ. That's the gospel message. That's what it needs to be preached in order for people to be saved. So Paul said in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is, right? So he's saying the, the gospel message when preached contains power That's right. unto salvation. And so there's no question about that. But Jesus combined his preaching with miracles, signs, right? The apostles combined their preaching with miracles and signs. Do you know what's interesting? If you study the early church after the Bible, like I'm talking about first century, second century church, they were still seeing signs and miracles. Did you know? They were still seeing demons be cast out. They were still seeing healings. You can read the writings of Irenaeus, Polycarp. You know, you, you can go through these things uh, and see. They were still reporting exorcisms and healings and different things right. like that. Still seeing it. It wasn't done, didn't stop. But what was the story? As they continued in the faith, as they preached the gospel, God was still confirming his word with signs as he is today. And so not only did they not stop, it's something that showed up with these people who proclaimed the message of Christ, right? So when we go further, we're looking at Paul, who's extremely intelligent, extremely intelligent. And he makes a mistake early on in his ministry. He makes the mistake of leaning on his own understanding. Hmm. And that's found, if you didn't know, if you're taking notes, that's actually found in Acts chapter 17. I like this. This is good. I've heard you, I've heard you talk about this. Yeah. I mean, and I think this is a, an important thing to point out. Yeah. Paul is, now he's in Athens. Athens is like the main, 
like if you think about it this way, the central area of thought in, in Greece at that time, <clears throat> you have all these philosophers that are, I was just studying back through this. I'm, I'm doing a study right now on, on philosophy and just looking at the history of philosophy. And uh, it's interesting that the Bible mentions these schools of thought like Epicurean philosophy and Stoic philosophy, and there's others. But it's funny, the, the, the person that's considered to be uh, the first philosopher in history, um, remember that verse of scripture in the Bible where Paul says, I left Trophimus sick in Miletus? Sure. There's a man from Miletus that's considered the first philosopher in history. His name was Thales of Miletus. And so it's funny that even these Bible places are mentioned in, you know, extra biblical uh, history and philosophy, but these are mentioned in the Bible, Stoic philosophers, Epicurean philosophers. Mm -hmm. And Paul's like, listen, I'm as, I'm educated enough to go toe to toe with any of these guys. I'm smart. I can, I can talk, I can talk your talk and walk your walk. So in Athens, Paul shows up to a place called the Areopagus. And in the Areopagus, people are voicing their opinions, their philosophies, they're debating. And Paul goes in, and uh, you know the story. He sees the pedestal uh, that's set out to the unknown God because they're, they're examining all the gods. And in case they've forgotten one, they've got a pedestal that's set aside to the unknown God in case so they don't offend him. And so Paul uses that like an illustrated message to preach and talk to them about the God of Israel, Jehovah. But notice here, Paul did no signs or wonders. No signs or wonders. No evidence of his message. Just his eloquent words, right? Mm -hmm. Just his eloquent words. And he's very smart. And he was debating with them and preaching to them. But it wasn't enough. Because this was his least successful endeavor of his entire ministry. Least successful endeavor. And after he's done with everything that he says to the philosophers in the Areopagus, look what the Bible says in Acts 17, verses 32 through 34. Here's the result of his debate. Now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, we'll listen to you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed, hmm. among whom also were Dionysus, the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris and others with them. So look at that. It's split. You've got a bunch of people mocking. You've got a bunch of people saying, yeah, we'd like to hear more about this at some point. And then you have a few people who believed. So it wasn't like he had this massive response of salvation from yeah. the Areopagus. Just a few. And many people mocked him. So just a few. So Paul learns a lesson, right? What lesson did Paul learn? Well, we figure it out when we read his first letter to the Corinthians. And in his first letter to the Corinthians, in the second chapter of that first letter, he says something um, that, that lets us know he learned the lesson, right? And this is it. He said, um, I'll read just from the beginning of the chapters, 1 Corinthians 2. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. There it is right there. 
So he's not trying to come and impress them with his education and his vocabulary and his historical knowledge. I didn't come proclaiming to you with the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to, not, to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Verse three, and I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Verse four and verse five should be underlined in your Bible, should be highlighted in your Bible, and should be seared into your spirit. Seared into your spirit. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom. But what were they in? Demonstration of the spirit and of power. Why? So here's the verse five answers why he did it that way. Why would you do that with demonstration with power? So that your faith would not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. There it is. There it is. So that your faith wouldn't be in men's wisdom. Men's wisdom will fail you, but the power of God will not fail you. So Paul, Paul's no dummy. He learned his lesson once in Athens, and he's not going to make the same mistake Hallelujah. twice. So now that I'm coming to Corinth, you better know I'm not coming with a debate. I'm not coming with a pre-prepared uh, uh, lecture. I'm coming in the power and the demonstration of the Holy Spirit, and you're going to see that there's more than just words to this religion. You come to, to Acts chapter 8, Philip just shows up in Samaria. Here's a question. I don't know why people uh, put, put this off, because when Philip comes to uh, Samaria in Acts chapter 8, did you ever notice that the Bible say, and the this is Acts 8, 6, and the crowds with one accord, paid attention to what was being said by Philip. Why did they pay attention? The rest of the verse tells you why. When they heard him and saw the signs that he did. The miracles and the signs Philip did in Samaria made everybody with one accord listen to what he had to say. Why? Because unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them. And many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in the city. Philip was like, let me get at your belly. And so he, in the midst, you, you missed that. I missed Philip you. I missed you. I was... Philip, Philip said, let me get at your belly. Philip was casting <laughs> out demons in Samaria. But in all reality, that's what caused people to listen to what he had to say. It was the signs. It was the wonders. Why did people follow after Jesus? The signs and the wonders. Right? Why did they even listen to what he had to say? Because of the signs and the wonders. That's right. And th this is how it works. The gifts of the Spirit. I love how my father teaches this because he uses the type and shadow of um, the Old Testament story of when they were looking for a wife for Isaac, Abraham's son. And Eliezer is sent out on a camel to find a wife. But what did he do? He went out with nine other camels that were loaded down with gifts. And he rode the 10th camel. And what was he doing? He was bringing gifts for Isaac's bride. And that would bring the bride back to the husband. Hallelujah. And he said, that's a type and a shadow. Eliezer is a type of the Holy Spirit who goes out to bring nine gifts to the bride. We are the bride of Christ. Goes out to bring nine gifts to the bride. So What's powerful. the purpose? To bring the bride back to the husband, which is Christ. Amen.
And they're, they're for today. They're not, they're not passed away. They're not over. They're not old. And, and let me tell you something. As, as much, and you go ahead. But as much as people want to be relevant today, there's nothing more relevant than setting the captives free. Yeah, and you know, Paul never, he never reverted either. Because you read in Romans chapter 15, verse 19, he says, In mighty signs and wonders, from Alaricum down to Jerusalem, I have fully preached Fully the preached. There's the key. That's right. Fully preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you skip down a couple of more verses, it says, And I'm confident that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what we are. We're full gospel. Full gospel ministers. I don't want to dish out a half gospel. I don't want to dish out a quarter gospel. I want to dish out the full gospel. If there's a warehouse filled with food... And I have the key to unlock it. You know, essentially, that's what Jesus rebuked the scribes in Luke and in Matthew. You, you hear him rebuking the scribes, and he says, Woe to you, scribes, you teachers of the law. You have stripped away the key of knowledge from people. You've not permitted them to enter into the kingdom of God, and you yourselves don't even enter in. And that's what yep. you have today. Modern-day Pharisees and scribes that because, well, I've never seen a miracle. Well, I've never spoken tongues. Well, right. I've never laid hands on the sick and seen someone recover. So you've never entered in. So what you did is you then took the key. You have there's full out there's like quote unquote ministries, which they're not ministries. There's no, no. sixfold ministry in the sixth minist- uh, office is the office of criticism or the office of watchman <laughs> on the watchman on the wall. Heresy hunter. Heresy hunter ministry, and yet you have people that have assumed this position of quote-unquote ministry, they say that they're in the ministry and their entire ministry is set on exposure videos on YouTube, exposing evangelist Ted Shellsworth Jr., exposing Rodney Howard Brown, exposing, you know, X, Y, or Z. And their whole ministries, I say it again, quote-unquote, ministries are based on bringing down, tearing down others who are operating in the supernatural power of God only because they themselves have never partook of it. Now, let me. I, I do believe there are people who have gone into churches and have seen misuse and abuse of the gifts. That's a very. Sure. Most of these people that grew up with uh, a cold spirit towards the gifts, it's because they were. Uh, ex- they encountered misuse of the gifts or they were exposed to an abuse of the gifts. And the gifts of the spirit can, you know. They, they've, they've been not, I don't think the authentic gifts have been abused. I think people stepping out in the flesh and moving in their carnal nature have tried to replicate the gifts and as such have. I, I think the authentic gifts have been abused. You think because, so? Oh, Go ahead. Yeah, I want to hear your thoughts on this, actually. Well, well, because there's people, you know, that, um, and the Bible condemns these types of people. There's people that truly have a gift. And here's where you got to be careful because the Bible says the gifts and the calling of God are without repentance, Mm. right? So it's not just the calling that God doesn't take back. He doesn't take the gifts back either. Mm. The gifts and the calling of God are without repentance. Um, And so one of the things that's sad is that there are people that could, they might actually have legitimate gifts that they operate in, but then they use them to manipulate people. You know, they use them to manipulate people. Uh, They may manipulate people for financial gain. Hmm. You know, it's not that that person never had a legitimate gift. It's that they've lacked integrity 
as they were in their gift. And so there's, there's multiple people. There's a very popular minister that passed away many years ago that um, had a, I mean, when I tell you he was powerful, mighty ministry, tens and tens of thousands uh, of people coming to hear him preach and see the miracles he was doing. Uh, but Brother Hagin wrote him a letter mm. and said, you actually have three areas of your life that you need to correct. You need to correct, um, first of all, the way you treat your physical body. You need to correct the way you treat people because he was very harsh with people, didn't walk in love. And you need to correct the way you deal with God's finances. And he sent him that letter to, to be a, a helpful correction to him privately, but the man did not make those corrections. And that man who was seeing tens and tens of thousands come to hear him preach died before he was 40 years old, before he was 40. Because it's not about just having gifts. It's not, because think about it, it doesn't make you special. Every believer in the kingdom of God has the ability and opportunity to operate in the gifts of the Spirit. They have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit empowers you, right? So it's not that you have gifts, it's that you have the Holy Spirit. That's right. Right, they're His gifts. So if I have Him, I have access to His gifts. So there's people, you know, you'll hear people talk about it like, you know, well, I have the gift of discernment or I have the gift <laughs> of knowledge or what. It's like, no, you, you have the Holy Spirit who gives you access to his gifts. That's right. Right? And because you have access to his gifts, they may operate in your life as the Spirit wills if you're yielded to him. But that doesn't alleviate the necessity of integrity, right? It doesn't alleviate the necessity of responsibility. Or what about this? There were, there were people early on in the, in, the, um, in the United States, man, did they have gifts in operation, but man, they had terrible doctrine, uh, exegetical skills. Yeah, yeah, they could not divide scripture properly. So they got off into weird, weird doctrine. What'd they say of John Alexander Dowie? They said like- Yeah, and then lost his mind. Kenneth Hagin used to always say about John Alexander Dowie, he said like, respect his faith, but don't respect his doctrine. Yeah, because, you know, it, that's required. Proper doctrine is required. It's not yeah. just, it's commanded in Scripture. I mean, people act like dividing the Word of God properly is like some light thing. It's commanded in Scripture. That's right. Right, Paul tells Timothy uh, that he has to study to show himself approved. A workman that does not need to be ashamed. You know what that means? that there are some workmen that need to be ashamed. <laughs> like when people see that stuff and they say, man, he should be ashamed of himself. It's true. You should be ashamed of yourself. If you hold a position of authority in the spiritual realm and you don't work to properly divide scripture, you should be ashamed of yourself. Because remember this, teachers will be uh, held in a higher right. accountability than regular believers and judged more harshly because to him who much is given, much is required. So if you are leading others astray because you have very poor doctrine, God will judge that. That's right. God will judge that because Absolutely. he loves his sheep. God, let me tell you what's so amazing. When Jesus was speaking to Peter and asked him three questions, He, he was pressing him on a subject that was very dear to the heart of God. 
Do you love me, Peter? Absolutely, Lord, I love you. Then feed my sheep. That's right. Do you love me? Yes, I love you, Lord. Feed my sheep. Do you love me a third time? Yes. Feed my lambs. Notice how he changed that. Notice how he changed that at the end. Not just the sheep. That's, that's the fully mature. The sheep are the fully mature. The lambs are the young ones. And God cares heavily about that. Yeah. That's why he holds those false teachers in such disdain. That, like you were talking about. That, that, you know, all this, all to the letter, but they've stripped the power of God from God's people. And so it is vital. But, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying that to be uh, controversial. I, I do believe that there are people that have uh, abused the actual gifts, not the false gifts. Now, of course, there's, there's, there's false gifts, too. There's familiar spirits. There's, you know, that try to emulate, right? Sure. But you're, you're right on the money. Yeah, the, well, and then that ends up turning people away from it completely. And then, like I said before, they end up rising up, making these fake ministries where they take it upon themselves as their life goal to discount, devalue, discredit any type of minister that does flow in these things. But as I said before, you know, and you mentioned it, and I love that you brought it up, how like Jesus himself, Jesus mm -hmm. himself said, I can't, like, he, he said, if you don't believe my words, at least believe the works that you see me do. In John chapter 2, he says, the Bible says, many believed in his name when they saw the works that he performed, the many signs that he, that he performed, that he, you know, that he was, uh, he was doing. People believed as they saw. And uh, to say that, and something you wrote in uh, your book on fasting that I really liked, and there's a lot of things that I, you wrote in there that I like, but this one really stuck out to me. And it says, we can't expect, something along these lines, maybe you can, you can perfect it. Um, mm -hmm. You can't expect to reproduce Christ's works without reproducing Christ's disciplines. Yeah, his dedication or his, his consecration. That's right. His dedication. Because how can we expect, let, let's say, for example, how, you know, in order for Jesus to do all the things he did, he had to be a man who fasted and was a serious man of prayer. Yeah. Is, isn't it mind-blowing to look at that and see that of all the things Jesus did in his whole ministry, the only thing his disciples ever asked him to teach them was how to pray. Lord, teach us to pray. Well, why? They must have understood there's something about his prayer life that's producing all the rest of this. And of course, right. he told them those things flat out. These kinds of demons only come out by prayer. Right. So th there's there's things that they understood, but it was his prayer. It was his dedication. So how how prideful of us to think That's right. that we could lean away from the consecration, dedication and discipline of Jesus, but still have all the same results he had without any of the disciplines he had. That's like being mad that you don't have the same body as the rock. <laughs> Dwayne Johnson, when, when you don't eat like him and you don't work out like him and you don't take steroids like him. You know, not to be that on that, but I mean, like that's ridiculous. Thing, I, I don't have. I can't believe I don't have those results. Well, you don't do anything he does. You know, yeah. it's, it's not. A, it's not a mystery. And so I agree that. I mean, so like yeah, to I, know, I was that, bringing up that quote, you know, to highlight the prayer thing, but also how could we expect 
to have many believe? How could we expect, you know, to have this aggressive form of evangelism where we are truly taking ground for the kingdom of God, where there's a wild fire that's spreading? I don't mean strange fire. (laughs) I mean the fire of God spreading at an unprecedented manner. How could you expect to have Book of Acts Christianity without using the same supernatural abilities and giftings that were afforded them. And I think you also said in one of your books, or maybe it was your father, but he said that God has not provided anything to the early church that is not available to us today. And Mm -hmm. so God's expectation for evangelism in 2023 is the same expectation he had for the early church in the year 40 and 50 A.D., He hasn't changed his expectation and his desire for the church to grow. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against its advancement. But we cannot, and you talked about it before, we can't be prideful and ultimately stupid and foolish to think that, you know, flashing lights and smoke screens and, you know, nice, I'm not against those things. I'm not against having LED walls. I'm not against excellence in the church. We should have the most excellent institution on planet Earth with the best AV, media, everything should be pristine within the walls of the church and everything we do outside the four walls of the church. However, like Reinhard Bonnke used to say, the less Holy Ghost you have in your services, the less gifts of the Spirit, the more cake and coffee you're going to have to provide in the church foyer to bring people in. But the more Holy Ghost that you provide, the more... Uh, of an atmosphere that's conducive for a move of God where the Spirit of God is not a guest of honor. I hate when they say that. He's a guest of honor. He's not a guest of honor. He's the main thing. It's his house. (laughs) You can't be a guest in your own house. Oh, I like that. It's his (laughs) house. I like that. (laughs) I I don't understand people. It's like the Holy Spirit is our guest of honor. No, it's You're the guest. It's his house. I like that. It's it's like mind-blowing to me. But you're exactly right. You know, the, the more you have to do. And, and one thing I've heard people say that I think is a great point. Um, you know, what you did to draw them in is what you're going to have to do to keep them. So if it's, if it's always this big, you know what I mean? It's like, if that's the way you want to run Christianity, that everything has to be like, you know, you have to have like a Cirque du Soleil. Uh, it's like, that's how, the, that's how churches are. It's like, it's become so entertainment oriented that we've we've lost. You know, it's actually very in- encouraging to me. I was listening to um, something that Pastor Chris Hodges said out in um, where are they at uh, in the Ozarks there, um, but his church is out there in the Ozarks. But uh, Chris Hodges was saying that even when they do their conference where they teach churches about church growth and stuff, they'll come, they'll come to his church and be blown away that they're like, they're not like mist machines and lights and, and, and all that stuff. And he's like, you know, our church is large and our church is, is, is growing. But he said, um, we found that like, we don't want to do anything that would uh, pull somebody out of their moment of worship. We don't want to do anything, even in our presentation, that could end up being a distraction you know, he's like, when you've got like lights moving all over the place, again, I'm with you. I'm for that stuff. If it works for you, that's great. I'm just telling you what he said. Sure. And it was like, the reason I'm pointing this out is because it was surprising that he said it 
being that he's one of the founders of the Ark Churches, hmm. the Ark Church Planning Group. Sure, I know. And he, and he yeah. said, like, you know, the reason, the reason that I, I feel that way is, like, he said, I don't want to be the cause of pulling anybody out of their focused moment of worship um, with, with the Lord, right? So, you know, we, we do our best with excellence and worship and praise and uh, sound and all that stuff, and they have lights. But, you know, he's like, I'm not trying to make it uh, necessarily a rock concert. I want people to be able to focus on Jesus, you know? I want people to focus on the, the work of the Holy Spirit, which that's an encouraging thing. We do want to focus on the work of the Holy Spirit, you know? I don't like seeing these church websites that are like, come here to our church. And in, I actually read this uh, verbiage on a church website. Come here to our church and enjoy anonymity. Like there's no, all the lights are off. Nobody, no one's going to ask you to raise your hand if you're a first time visitor. We're not going to single you out. We won't make you stand. There's not an altar call to come forward. You can just come get a latte, sit in your seat and enjoy anonymity at you know, such and such church.com. It's like, you're not called to enjoy anonymity in the body of Christ. That's so weird. You start, you're called to stand up and be counted. Yeah, I think one of the major things, obviously, that pushed, and, and this is just, this is where I'll go with this, and I'll, I'll throw it to you. I think one of the things in America, specifically, that, that was a, a pushing away of the move of the Spirit, the charismatic gifts, all those things, is when we stepped into this uh, seeker, seeker-sensitive church movement where I, I would say at their heart it was, it was legitimately a good thought, a good starting place. We want more people to come to church and come to God. But it's how they went about it, I think, that was a mistake. That, you know, they, they, they stopped teaching doctrine. They stopped, you know, everything became more surface level in the teaching. Then there became more entertainment. Yeah did away with Sunday school, you know, all those things. So the, the mindset became, let's not do anything that would make people who come uncomfortable. Well, I agree that you should cut out stupidity, and I, I agree that you should cut out awkwardness where there doesn't need to be it. But one of the things people need to keep in mind is that it's uncomfortable when you're a sinner and come into the presence of God and he convicts you of your sin. That's not a comfortable thing. And to call your, to a call to repentance is an uncomfortable thing because you have to start by saying I'm wrong and I'm not just wrong. I'm dead and I'm not just dead. I'm headed into eternal death. If I don't respond to the voice of the Holy spirit, that's not comfortable to admit that you're a sinner to admit that you're dead in trespasses and sins, to admit that you're on your way to eternal destruction if you don't do what the Holy Spirit's prompting you to do, right? And and so if you just try to remove all um, uncomfortable moments in a service, we don't call people to the altar, we don't lay hands on people, we don't ask people to, to come forward and repent. It's, you know, we they can do that. Just quite. It's like, that's why my Uncle Tiff, you know, I'm sure he developed this um, I'm sure he developed this, this mindset from seeing that through his years of evangelism and makes that statement, you know, camouflage uh, altar calls pr- produce camouflage Christians. Yeah. And I'm sure he saw that stuff because it started late 70s, maybe even in the 60s, but it really started to manifest itself in the 70s and 80s in the United States of America, these seeker-sensitive movement. And, and so 
I'm sure throughout the, and, and he started in the 70s, uh, you know, evangelizing and preaching, maybe, maybe the early 80s. But like, you know, he saw that stuff as it was happening and probably saw the frustration of like, why are these churches shutting altar calls down? Why are these churches not calling people to repentance? And you start to realize that like, you know, just close your eyes. You know, nobody look at anybody. Nobody move out of your seat. Nobody come to the altar. Just under your breath or in your heart, pray this prayer. It's like, no, there needs North to Korea. be a moment, right? There needs to be a moment where you make a conscious decision to move out and be separated. And, and in, the, in the presence of men, yeah. you know, if you'll, if you'll confess me in front of men, I'll confess you before the Father. And I understand that that may, that may not, that scripture may not have been in the context of an altar call, but if, here's what I always tell people, even if that scripture verse is not in context of stepping out of your seat in a church and coming to an altar, if you can't do, here's what I say in my services, if you can't, um, if you can't confess Christ in front of a crowd of people that want you to, you'll never do it in front of a world mm, of people that good. don't want you to. Be, you know, answering the call in a church is like the easiest thing. What's harder than that is when you have to go back to your unsaved family, your unsaved friends, your job, and live for Christ with a backbone in front of people that don't want anything to do with Christ. That's good. You know, I'm thinking of the perfect example. In the midst of all that seeker sensitivity and all that happening in the States, 70s, 80s, 90s, God raised up Lakewood through John Osteen. And if you, and I know you're very familiar with their, their ministry, but John Osteen, when he would have his Sunday morning church services te televised, I think it would be on live TV if I'm not mistaken, he would call people out in the gifts, the word of knowledge, you know, call someone out, that person break down in tears, or the working of miracles. He, I, I, I think one time he pulled a man out of a wheelchair in the third row, and the guy started running across. This was, I think, when there were about 1,500 people. So they had gone from their small beginnings of 30 people to 500. They finally hit 1,000. Then they're at 1,500 people. And he pulls a guy out of a wheelchair, and the guy runs. And this is on television. He gets aired. He, ha he had a hard, his trouble the next week, the following week, was not getting people in the building. It was where to put all these people. <laughs> And right. they had to build a 5,000-seater after that. And, like, he actually talks about how every major breakthrough in attendance at his church, he could link back to an obvious manifestation of the gifts of the Holy Spirit wow. at work in his meeting. His own daughter. You know, one of the, re the, the reasons they started to even brew something strong in that area was his own daughter, mm. who was uh, born with cerebral palsy. She couldn't walk. She had no sensation ben ben beneath her neck. She had no ability to move her hands or her feet. For the six, first six months of her, of her life, the doctor diagnosed her with cerebral palsy. And uh, for six months, they stood on the word of God, confessed healing scriptures over her. And then finally, on a test that they were doing, they were you know, striking a plume on her foot. And her foot started moving. And she regained full function of her body. Her name's Lisa. Uh, Osteen Combs, who, who ministers today at Lakewood and other places. She has a traveling ministry. She's fully well. Wow. She travels full-time as a minister. She's a bright, bright, bright woman, has her own ministry with her husband, doing great things for God, born with cerebral palsy. After that, wow. word got around. You know, things, 
things began to blow up quickly. And so for all those ministers or pastors or even evangelists that will say, you know, the good, we don't speak. You know, D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody had a manifestation of these gifts in his own ministry. But if you do Moody Bible Institute today and you, you go on their website and read through their um, I remember when I was looking to go to a Bible college, I had a friend recommend it. I already knew I was going to go to a specific college, but I, I just looked, looked this one up because I had heard of D.L. Moody, and I didn't know he still had a Bible institute. So I said, well, what am I? And God, let me go and check it out. So I go and read through, his, um, through the college guidelines, and in very clear terms, there was, there's no speaking in tongues in chapel. In clear terms, there's no laying hands on people. For impartation. They don't believe in impartation. They don't believe in the gifts of healings. They don't believe in, in, in working miracles. They, don't, they just believe it to be a sovereign thing. God doesn't use human instruments. And let me tell you, if you're listening right now, and you've been taught your entire life that God just moves sovereignly, with or without you, it doesn't matter, the same outcome shall come to pass. That's probably been the main barrier between you and the operation of these gifts. Because if you're a person who thinks God will get it done on his own, he doesn't need us lowly things to do anything or bid his will, uh, you, that's an unbiblical method of thinking. It's not scriptural at all. Everything God does on the earth, he does in and through people. And the way he gets it done is through these gifts of the Holy Spirit. And so if you're the type of person who believes in the whole sovereignty thing that God works apart from people, th this is not going to you know, appeal much to you. But when you start to understand that if God is going to touch someone, he needs my hand to get it done. If God is going to edify someone, he needs this gift of prophecy to get it done. If God's going to comfort someone, he needs this gift of prophecy to get it done. If God's going to heal people, he needs people that are ready, willing, and equipped with those gifts of the Holy Ghost to go out and lay hands on the sick and see them recover. If that were not the case, why wouldn't Jesus say in his final disposition towards the disciples in Mark chapter 16, why wouldn't he just simply state that now I'm going, take it easy, watch this, hold my poodle. Why does he say, now that I'm going, go ye therefore, preach this gospel of the kingdom, and these signs are going to follow those that believe. They shall lay hands on the sick and see them recover. That's a manifestation of the gift. They shall speak with new tongues. That's a manifestation of a gift. You have two of the nine gifts listed out in Mark chapter 16. So he says that if, you know, this God's will for world evangelization is not going to be abracadabra magic. It's going to be done through willing servants that have availed themselves. And like evangelist Ted uh, said before, it matters not whether you consider, and that's why I love 1 Corinthians 1. It flows perfectly with 1 Corinthians 2. Because 1 Corinthians 1, the, nearing the end of the chapter, Paul says, consider your calling. Some of you, you were stupid when God called you. Some of you had an IQ lower than the room temperature in the room you're in. <laughs> I'm talking about myself. But God, when he calls you, and I think it was your grandfather that said this, that God will take a nobody, make him a somebody without the help of anybody. And, and that's a powerful statement because it's Very. in line with 1 Corinthians 1. We're... Consider your calling. None of you were wise. None of you were noble. None of you were strong. None of you had influence in society. None of you were kings or, or affluent people. But remember, God calls the foolish. He chose the, the, um, the weak 
He chose the things that are not, the despised, the debased, to shame the things that are, so that nobody can glory in his presence. So if you think that, you know, you can educate yourself in, you know, before Howard Carter and Lester Sumrall uh, bringing out the revelation to the church today about these gifts being supernatural in their core and in their, you know, in essence, they used to think the gift of knowledge, there was the gift of knowledge. That, you know, you can, you just, edu- you, were, you were prone to, to be more educated or you were um, quicker at receiving and absorbing information. And a lot of people believe that for a long time. If you think that you can educate yourself into these gifts, that you can just graduate into these gifts one, one day or another just because of, uh, you know, some uh, scout badge that you've been in the Christian community for a long time. or it, That's not how it works. It literally happens the moment, like you said, when you receive him, the Holy Ghost, you've come into the school of the Spirit. The gateway to these gifts have been unlocked for you. And now it, it's about availability and surrender to what God wants you to do. And I wanted to just uh, touch on this before we close up. Because we've touched on the evangelism part of it and why the gifts are vital for evangelism. But we understand that the gifts flow through a mother for her family, through a father for his family. How, and you know, coming from the family and the background that you have, how have you seen the gifts flow through your family in a way that impacted you as a young child that you knew without even ministry exposure, just in your own house, these gifts are vital for my home now that I'm a father and now that I have children and I have a marriage. Well, think about it. They're Just like Paul said in 1 Corinthians 12, they are to profit with all. The purpose of the gifts, they will, they will profit with all. So they profit, they bring profit in every area of life. My life has been spared through the gifts of the Holy Spirit. When I was, multiple times when I was young, once I was playing in the street and uh, the Lord gave my father a vision of a truck zooming by me and, and like hitting me, basically. Wow. And he began to pray. And uh, as soon as he began to pray, he ran out to find where I was. And he said, I, ca- I came running from the street white as a ghost because the car, uh, that truck had come at me and just missed me. Wow. And same with when I got in the car wreck in Bible school. I called him after the car wreck when I fell asleep driving. And he said, I had a vision of you earlier today getting in a car accident. I began to pray in the Holy Ghost till I felt a release in my spirit. And I believe that's what really protected me, the angels that protected me. I fell asleep driving on the main street of Tulsa with no seatbelt on, going to, to uh, work at 11 p.m., pulled my car through two lanes of oncoming traffic, through a, a restaurant parking lot without ever hitting a parked car or a pedestrian, went over the, the parking thing at the end of the, I never know what those are called, at the end of a parking space, the cement block, went over the top of it it's probably a like. It's a nuisance. Yeah. That's what it's yeah. called. <laughs> at like 30, 40 miles an hour. Woke me up, you know, I ended up in a, a parking lot of a, a warehouse and uh, not a scratch on my body. I mean, if I'd have hit wow. anything, I was dead. I was dead. But the Lord showed my father, my, my wife and I, we, we want the Lord to use us. And we've, we've had him give us words of knowledge about our children, words of wisdom for our children. We've watched the gifts of healing work in our children's lives. 
my daughter, many know the story, that was diagnosed with a blood disease and a, and a um, heart problem. She was healed by the gifts of healing, working of miracles. My daughter, Brooklyn, uh, in the midst of a revival in Jacksonville, had to be in the Jacksonville Children's Hospital every single night of the revival. God healed her supernaturally by the gifts of healing. Um, and so, uh, literally, um, the gifts of the Spirit are there uh, for, to profit with all. That includes your family, that you can have the discerning of spirits. You may discern the spirits. And by the way, as my father teaches and as the Bible teaches, discerning of spirits, people hear that gift and they think it just means demon spirits. But it's not just demon spirits. It, there's actually four levels. And I can't wait for my dad to, to release these other uh, editions of his books on the gifts. People don't know this. There's four levels to every gift of the spirit. Four levels to every gift of the spirit. Uh, with discerning of spirits, you can discern, number one, the spirit of God. You can discern the spirit of angels. You can discern, discern another man or woman's spirit. And you can discern demon spirits. That's the four levels of the, of the discerning of spirits. And so... Um, the Lord can show you things even about your children's friends. Yeah. You know, things that's that good. they don't need to be hanging out with that person. You know, there's something going on there that's wrong. I can sense it in the spirit. I can sense it's wrong. You know, my cousin Jonathan, you know, had he grew up in a house as well where the, the, the gifts of the spirit were in operation. There was a time when he, I don't know if you've ever heard this story. You probably have when my cousin Jonathan was getting into tennis, when he was playing tennis oh, in yeah. school. And he, and he had this like kind of like a crappy racket that he didn't really want to use, but his dad had a really nice racket that he wanted to use. And uh, his, his dad told him, don't you use my racket. And his dad was leaving to go on an evangelistic meeting. <laughs> and uh, so he went upstairs, he's like, yeah, it won't be that big of a deal. Now this is in the day where there were no cell phones or any of that, right? Um, and, he, and he's going, and, um, he goes upstairs to get his dad's racket and there's a telephone on his dad's bed stand or night table by the, by the bed. And as he goes to grab the racket, uh, the phone rings and he picks it up and goes, you know, Shuttlesworth residence. And first thing on the phone, I thought I told you not to use my racket. <laughs> it's like his dad, his dad had like a word of knowledge immediately that, that he was going to get it. So, I mean, you can parent by the gifts of the spirit, you know, Absolutely. And uh, last night I was just laying hands on my daughter in church and we were holding hands together. My daughter, uh, Madeline, was praying in tongues and we were praying in, in the spirit together. And um, she's already uh, at that place where she, and my daughter Brooklyn's filled with the Holy Ghost and is praying in tongues. And just, I'm believing the same way. God's going to use her to uh, uh, not just give words in tongues, but to interpret, to prophesy, you know, to heal the sick, to, to cast out devils. And so you can parent, you can raise your children in the gifts of the Spirit. And um, I'm just telling you, it's not only in the Scripture. I've seen it happen. Not that we define our doctrine by what we've seen or experienced, but I've watched it happen. It's a testimony of my own life. And I've seen it in other, other families as well. So yeah, it's uh, such don't just think of it ministry. Think of it family and yeah. home. It's such, a, it's such a powerful help. Like we have such a supernatural advantage because of these gifts, you know, yeah. you life doesn't have to be trial and error. A lot of people, they say life's trial and error. You win some, you lose some. You don't have to lose any. <laughs> you don't yeah. have to lose any. Do you know David didn't lose any battles in his life? He didn't lose one battle. And his secret was he always inquired of the Lord, meaning he did it God's way. 
If you'll do it, you know, that's where Paul says, I'll show you a more excellent way. This is the excellent way. You can live a normal life. You can go a natural way. You can um, be a good Christian and not subscribe to any of these things. But your life's going to look drastically different from someone who embraces these things that we spoke about today. You know, I was thinking of... um, Lester Summerall talks about in his book, The Gifts and Ministries of the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. talks about how the word of knowledge, uh, one of the first times he like witnessed it in like grand display was he was at a little country church and he was just in a little prayer meeting. He was minding his own business. I think he was pretty young at the time. And uh, as he's praying, this lady, about 22, 23-year-old girl, just walks in from the back, goes to the front, grabs... Uh, the pulpit puts it in order and just announces to everyone, we're starting a revival meeting today. We're starting a revival meeting today. God has sent me to be an evangelist for the next two weeks. We're going to have revival meetings every day and we're going to take up offerings every night. When she said that, a woman who is, knelt, who is kneeling down in the first row with her head covered, she gets up and with this like, annoyed look in her eye stares straight at that lady that was that had took the like hijacked the pulpit Mm -hmm. and said you are a liar the lord has shown me in a vision today that you are a prostitute from a surrounding city i forget what city oh i've heard this story you're a prostitute from a surrounding Mm -hmm. city here you talk to your pimp right before coming in here tonight you, play, you pleaded with them saying, let me go and try this out. I grew up in church. I've had you know, ministers come through our churches all my life. They can take up large offerings. I guarantee I can make more money in a church through two weeks of doing nightly services than having sold my body every single night. Just try me out one, more, one, or, one or two weeks. Let me try this out and I'll prove to you that it's more lucrative. And the pimp let, him, let her do it. She steps into the church, gives that announcement. That woman gets up, says, I had a vision of you doing all this. If you don't run out of this church right now, you will drop dead and die. And she immediately like went white and fled for her life. <laughs> wow. You know, that's, that's even the protective power that these gifts offer. Not only the church, but your family. And I saw no someone question. right in the comment section, I've had you know, a check in my spirit with regards to people getting around some of my kids. And that is the most valuable thing that that you can have. Because, you know, Jesus made it very clear in Matthew 13, there's the sons of the kingdom, and then there's the sons of the wicked one. If you think Mm -hmm. everyone has good intentions, or they're just bad influences, some people are not just bad influences. Some people are sent by the devil to steal, kill, and destroy your family. And if you're not like a roaring lion, or if you're the mother, a roaring lioness, standing at the gateway of your home, That's you're, right. you're, you're, you're going to have a hard, a hard life. And it's not going to happen now. It's not going to happen in two years. You know, if your kid's like five years old, it's years down the line. You will pay the price for it. But yeah. you don't have to pay the price. You can step up. You can step up today. You know, you can step up today and ask God, you know, how do these gifts come to people? We talked about how vital they are, but how do they come? It's very simple. Covet earnestly Mm -hmm. the greater gifts. Covet. That's right. 
Oftentimes we talk about the word covet with regards to sin. You right. Know, coveting someone's silver, gold, or apparel, coveting someone's home, coveting someone's lifestyle. And yes, it's wrong to covet some material thing. But when mm -hmm. it comes to the gifts of the Holy Ghost, Paul gives us not only allowance, but encouragement to That's exactly covet. Right. Covet. The word there in the Greek is zelu, which literally means to burn with fiery passion for. Mm. To burn with intense passion for that thing. Literally, uh, I refuse to live life without it. You know, I was reading Oral Roberts's book on um, something about the impossible. Still Doing the Impossible by Oral Roberts. Mm -hmm. And at the beginning, he talks about a story of a man who had been approached by a younger man. And this older man was a very successful businessman. And this younger man came into his office. Or sorry, I don't think they were at an office. I think they were like sitting by, I think they had a meeting somewhere by a sea or something like that. I, I don't think this was a real story, to be honest with you. <laughs> I think he actually says this wasn't a real story. I think he was like, he was giving an... Um, a parable. Like a parable, yeah. Yeah. But he said this younger man came to, to this older man and he said, so, uh, you know, Brother XY, could you please tell me what is the secret to success? And he said, the older man grabbed the guy's head and he put him underwater. <laughs> this is why I think it's, it was a parable. He put him <laughs> underwater. <laughs> he put him underwater and there was bubbles and he was drowning the guy pretty much. And... Um, after about like 20 seconds, he finally lifted him up. And the younger man was kind of freaked out and he lashed out and he said, why would you ever think of doing something like that to me? You almost killed me. I nearly drowned. And the older man replied to him and he said, when you desire success, the same way you desired breath as you were down in that water, then you're on, you're on the road to success. Mm -hmm. And I use that not for success for earthly things, which is fine. You know, we believe in prosperity here. We believe in, in productivity. But in terms of the gifts of the Holy Ghost, if you think you can live without it, you are not coveting the spiritual gifts. If you're not a man or a woman of fasting and prayer, if you're not a man or a woman who sits under ministries like Evangelist Ted Shuttlesworth Jr. and his father Sr. and others around the world that operate, you know, the very reason I've seen the word of knowledge flow in my ministry is because I've exposed myself to the ministry of evangelist Ted Shuttlesworth Jr. and Sr. and others like them. The very reason I believe that I believed that I could work a miracle was yes, I read it in the scripture, but then I saw it done through evangelist Ted Shuttlesworth Jr. And 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 because of that, it inspired me to then act on it, and I saw how it's done. You know. The first blind eye, I don't know if I've ever told you this, but the first blind eye I saw come open, you know, I'd read of Jesus doing it and all that. But when I saw your father in a meeting grab a, a, a lady and her eyes being all cloudy and him just doing what Jesus did and put his hands on her eyes and, and then um, commanded a spirit of blindness to come off her, and what, whatever else he did following through with that, and her eyes come open, and you could see the cloud just dissipate, and her eyes being able to see. It showed me now, not only that it's possible, but like a plan of action. It showed me a strategy. It showed me, not only, it's a biblical strategy, but it was, um, it was, uh, how can I say it? Not imitated, but brought forth. 
before my eyes, live mm -hmm. action. Yeah. And that encouraged me to step out and do the same. You know, I saw your father once. This was like one of my first exposures to any of the gifts. I was just saved. This is like 2013. I get saved the end, uh, mid-2012. And I go to Bible college. I'm in Massachusetts now. He's at Fitchburg, Mass. When Tomes was in the old church. The, so the, that first initial building, which I don't know how much it seated. Probably seated like, what, 150 people? Mm -hmm. It was jam-packed. Jam-packed. And I remember going one night and he literally called out seven or eight people and he gave them each a color, blue, white, red, blue, blue, white. And he said, pull out your cigarettes. And he, they, I saw this. They pulled out their cigarettes and the red ones were Marlboro. The blue ones were some other, you know, brand of cigarette. And they all, I mean, they broke down. There was repentance. There was redemption. They laid their cigarettes at the altar. And I mean, the fear of God swept through that place. I think people yeah. who didn't even get called out came forth and <laughs> threw their cigarettes at the altar. That meeting, the same meeting, this was on a different night, the same meeting, he called out another, you know, I don't know how many people. They were all deaf. Some of them had hearing aids. Some of them did not have hearing aids. And by the way, I mean, it's easy if you, they have a hearing aid, they no word of knowledge necessary, but the ones who didn't have a hearing aid, it's not like they were talking and they had like tongue twist, called them all forth. And I think that night there might have been like 10 people that received their hearing in one service. That put something in me. <laughs> mm -hmm. That put sure. something deeply rooted in me. As a, a young man entering into the ministry, I vowed I will never be an ordinary minister. I will never, this is what drew me to the Shuttlesworth family. I will never be, because your family, you know, I know Pastor Ronnie always calls it the royal family. And I really believe it to be a royal family within the kingdom of God. Because your family puts a premium on the manifestation of the gifts, on the Holy Spirit himself. And, you know, I can't thank you guys enough, but it puts something deeply rooted in me at a young age as a young minister uh, being trained in the ministry, that I will not be ordinary. I will not be a TED Talk preacher. I will not just bring forth three points of poem and a back rub at the altar. I will not just be sitting on a nice lounge chair with my legs crossed and just giving some thoughts. I'm going to be a Book of Acts preacher. I'm going to do what Philip did because I saw proof that what Philip did is being done today. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm going to be used mightily of God. I will be an extraordinary minister and I'm not going to have anything less. Literally, you know how like that preacher used to say, give me souls or give me death? Mm -hmm. I had that for like the gifts of the Holy Ghost. Yeah. Give me this or I don't even want to be, I don't even want to go. You know, Jesus essentially said to the disciples, tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until you are clothed with power from on high. That's right. Pretty much saying it's, it's going to be a useless endeavor for you to go out that's and right. try and get this done by yourself without yes. the manifestation of these things. And that's Absolutely. what put, got, got put in me that day. I'm tearing. I'm going to fast. I'm going to pray. I'm going to get hungry for the things of the Spirit. Yeah. And that's when it started to manifest. Amen. Praise God. I, I would love for you, because um, it's been you know an hour and a half, but Evangelist Ted, if you would just pray for the people for that um, whatever you feel led ultimately, but for that hunger, to, to that grace for hunger. I really believe hunger is a grace. 
John G. Lake believed it was the most important thing you can impart to a believer, spiritual yeah. hunger. Of all the things he saw and all the things he did, if you don't know who he was, look him up. Powerful man of God from the last century. He believed if there's anything I could impart to a believer, it would be spiritual hunger. Because the Bible says, blessed are those that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they'll be filled. That's right. That's the key for filling. And so, Father, I pray for all those that are watching, those that will listen later. I pray that you would put in them a supernatural hunger for uh, the things of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, the moving of your Holy Spirit, a hunger for your Word, a hunger to be able to rightly divide the Word of God, a hunger to lead their families by the power of God and in the uh, ways of God. We thank you, Lord, that you are empowering us to do what we've been called to do. I ask you, Lord, in Jesus' name, as they step out, give them a boldness and an urgency to step out by faith. Maybe they've never laid hands on a sick person in their life. Give them boldness and urgency to minister to those that are in need. Raise us up as end-time soul winners to reap this harvest, as end-time miracle workers to produce evidence that shows Jesus is alive as we preach the gospel of Christ. We thank you for that, Lord. We give you praise and glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.